As followers of Jesus, why is it that we call this day Good Friday? On this day in which our Lord and Savior was treated so unfairly. When you think about all that occurred to him, to him over 2,000 years ago on this day that we celebrate, our Lord and Savior was humiliated. He stood before six trials, all of which were illegal. He was beaten viciously and eventually murdered. And yet on this day, each year as followers of Jesus, we still call this day Good Friday. How could it be that one who is so righteous should be so brutally punished for those who are good. But to really correct that statement, he didn't even die for those of us who are good because none of us are good. How could someone who was so righteous, someone who didn't deserve to be punished, how could it be that he would die for those of us who deserve the punishment? When you came in this evening, you should have received a a sheet of paper that had Isaiah chapter 53. And Lee Edwards is going to come and read this passage, Isaiah 53. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And as he reads this passage, I want you to remember that this passage was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. So let's stand together as Lee reads Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generations who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. In this passage, again, written 700 years before the birth of Christ, we have clearly on one hand, when one side, we have the complete sinfulness of God's chosen people. And I want you to keep that, that sheet of paper in front of you, because we're going to look at this uh, in particular, several verses importantly. I want you to see that God does not soften the blow when he talks about sin in Isaiah 53. You and I, we're tempted to treat sin lightly, but God doesn't. We'll say things like, oh, well, that was just an error in judgment, or oh, that was just a a mistake, or I'm just on a learning curve, but that's not the way that that God refers to sin. In fact, look look with me at the words that God uses in this passage uh, to speak of sin. Two times when he's talking about sin, he uses the words transgressions. You see that in verses 5 and 8. In verse 5, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 8, it says, stricken for what? For the transgression of my people. 
Two times when he's talking about us as sinners, he calls us transgressors. You see that in in one verse, in verse 12. He says, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the, here it is right there, the transgressors. He says it one more time. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for who? For the transgressors. Three times when he's talking about sin, he uses the word our iniquity. You see that in verses five and six and 11. In verse five, it says that he was crushed for our what? Our iniquities. In verse six, and the Lord has laid on him the what? The iniquity of us all. And then in verse 11, it says, and he shall bear their iniquities. In verse 8, Jesus, I mean, the God is talking about the oppression, and he's not talking about the oppression that will be inflicted upon him, upon God's people, but he's saying the oppression that they will inflict upon the Lord's chosen servant. Look with me in verse 8. It says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Isaiah, when he wrote this passage, we know that he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing the 700 years before the birth of Christ, he uses some strong words when he's talking about our sinfulness. Another word that he used to describe our sin is wicked. You see in verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked. In verse 10, he says that we're all guilty when his soul makes an offering for guilt. This picture here that Isaiah is painting, it's not a flattering picture at all. And again, Isaiah is not talking about God's enemies. He's not talking about the Assyrians. He's not talking about the Babylonians. He's talking about God's chosen people. And he says God's chosen people, that they're what? That they're sinful, that they're selfish, that they're lawless, that they are sinners. So on the one hand, in Isaiah 53, we have God's chosen people who are sinful and selfish. And by the way, that includes you and me in that group of people. And on the other hand, he contrasts it with the Lord's servant. Remember, when Isaiah wrote this passage, he didn't have the clarity that you and I have on this side of the cross. He did not know that this would be Jesus who would actually be the fulfillment of this prophecy. In verse 9, it says that there was absolutely no violence in this man. It said there would be no deceit that would come from his mouth. Now, we all know of good men and women And I use that term good according to our standards. But in particular, we can look at the Old Testament and we can think of men and women who were good people that suffered. What makes these good people in the Old Testament who suffered different from the Lord's suffering suffering servant here in Isaiah 53? The difference here is that the suffering servant, that he had done absolutely nothing wrong. Jesus Christ is as blameless as God's people are blameworthy. What else does this passage of Scripture tell us about the foreshadowing of Jesus who was to come? Well, you go back one chapter, in chapter 52, verse 14, it says that his appearance was marred beyond um, human semblance. Then you go to uh, chapter 53, and verse 3, it said that Jesus said he would be rejected. Verse 4, he would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Verse 5, he would be pierced, crushed, and wounded. Verse 7, he was oppressed. Verse 8, he was cut off. Verse 9, he was killed, died, and was buried with the wicked. Church family, how can this be? 
Let me ask you the same question that I asked you just a few moments ago. How is it that one so righteous, one so innocent, would die for those of us who deserve to be punished? What makes this story even more unimaginable than that is when you reflect and when you realize what Scripture tells us, which is how did Jesus suffer? He suffers willingly. He chooses the cross. He voluntarily agrees to take the punishment of our sin upon himself. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 10 to make sure that we would know that this wasn't a surprise. The Romans didn't trick him into to being crucified. In John 10, he, he's, he's telling him, does that my disciples, listen, this is what's going to happen to me. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down, what? On my own accord. He doesn't go into this unbearable death kicking and screaming. No, he goes to Golgotha without opening his mouth. Verse 7 says that he endured this suffering silently. How could he do that? How could he endure this suffering without opening his mouth? Well, friends, we know again on this side of the cross that he had a purpose for suffering. He took upon himself the sins of us, the sins of his people, and how did he do it? He did it freely, and he did it voluntarily. Don't miss what I think is the most important verse in the entire chapter of 53. Look what, look at verse 10 in, in chapter 53. It says, yet it was what? Don't miss this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Right there in, in verse 10, we have the answer to our question of, of how in the world could this happen? The reason it could happen was because it was God himself. It was his will to crush Jesus. It was God who allowed Jesus to endure the pain of the cross. And you say, well, that, Blake, that, that just almost makes it even worse. It, it's hard enough for me to grasp how one would die for those that don't deserve to be punished, but now you're telling me that, that I've got to believe that this was God's will, that this was all part of God's plan for his son to be crushed, to be pierced, to be crucified on our behalf. It's almost too much for us to believe. But friend, I don't want you to miss the good news and why we celebrate and why we call this Good Friday. In our remaining moments together, let me share with you quickly just three reasons why this truly is Good Friday for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Three reasons, and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together before we're dismissed. The first reason we can call this Good Friday is because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, friends, we can experience redemption. The good news of Good Friday is that the Father did not spare his son, but instead he willingly sacrificed his son and he gave him up for us. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Not only did God not spare his son, but scripture also tells us that Jesus drank from the bitter cup of God's wrath. Remember the scene when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to, to his father and he says in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he says, my father, if it is possible, let this, and there's a strange word here, let this cup 
pass from me. What's this cup that Jesus is talking to his father about? The cup that he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath against sin that must be punished. Church family, we can experience redemption only because Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved. He took God's wrath against sin and he bore it himself on the cross. The second reason that we can call today Good Friday is because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, we can clearly see God's love for us. Understand that Good Friday didn't happen so that God could love us. No, that's not the reason at all. Good Friday happened because God already loved us. The most famous verse in the Bible, the verse that we're going to focus on um, Sunday morning, John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved us even in our sinful, selfish state. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, while we were what? Still sinners. Christ died for us. And finally, the third reason that we can call today Good Friday is because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus. We can be sure that his sacrifice completely satisfies the debt that was caused by our sin. If the cross were anything other than God's perfect preordained plan, if it occurred simply by human hands, or worse, if the cross occurred because it caught God off guard, Jesus didn't see this was going to happen, that the Roman soldiers, they surprised Jesus and this wasn't part of God's plan, then we cannot know if our sins are truly, fully, and completely forgiven. But because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, we have assurance that his death fully covers the debt that was caused by my sin, the debt that was caused by our sin. Church family, his sacrifice is, without a shadow of a doubt, enough to fulfill the need that was owed because of our sin. Finally, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is quoting a psalm that we find in, in Psalm 118. And he quotes these two verses in verses 22 and 23 of, of Psalm 18. These are Jesus' words. He says, the stone that the builders rejected, who's that? That's Jesus, has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. Again, I believe referring to the, the, the price of redemption. It is marvelous in our eyes. But I don't want you to miss what occurs in the next verse of Psalm 118. Because the cross is good news for those of us in this room who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can join the psalmist who says this in the very next verse of Psalm 118. After he's just talked about the stone the builders rejected, this was the Lord's doing. He says this, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be sad, no. Let us live in guilt, no. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Church family, because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, we can experience redemption. Because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, we can clearly see God's love for us. And because it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus, 
We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his sacrifice completely satisfies the debt that was caused by our sin. And because of those three things, as followers of Jesus, as we reflect on the cross, not only on this Good Friday, but hopefully every day of our lives, we can understand and see how God could take this object of wrath in the cross and turn it into a symbol of redemption. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your goodness and in your grace that you redeemed us, that you have given us eternal life, and we thank you for the obedience of your Son as he willingly took on the sin of the world so that we might experience redemption. I pray now, Lord, as we come to this time in our service, as we prepare to reflect on your sacrifice by partaking of the Lord's Supper, would you help us to live lives of gratitude, to live lives of worship because of what you have done for us? We know that there is nothing in us, there's nothing that we can do to make us worthy of your forgiveness. But because of your love, because of your sacrifice, would we live lives trying to to display your love to other people? We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins because of the death of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Scripture tells us that the night before the crucifixion, that Jesus met alone with his disciples in the upper room, and he was celebrating with them what was then Passover, and but it was about to change. And as he's meeting with the disciples, he says these words. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So in just a few moments, as the deacons are going to come after I have a word of prayer, we invite you, whether you're a member of this church or not, it makes no difference. But for those who have trusted Christ as your Savior to come to the front to any of these tables and to partake of the elements. There will be a a cup for the juice and there's a wafer here. And if you will just take that and go ahead and go back to your seat Um, And then at a time of your choosing, after you've had time to pray, you'll take the elements on your own. There will be no further instructions, just a time of reflection as you come to the table, receive your elements, and then go back and, and have a seat, and then you'll take it on your own. If there's someone next to you who is unable to come to the front, would you be kind enough to check with them and and bring the elements to them? So let me have a word of prayer, and then our deacons will come, and you'll be invited to come to the front. Dearly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to reflect on your body that was broken for our sins, the blood that was poured out so that we might experience eternal life. Lord, I pray now that as we partake of these elements, that you would remind us of the cost of our salvation. Would we never take for granted what you have done for us? And would we simply say back to you, thank you for your sacrifice. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Again, you come as you're ready.